Listening to Live on Four Legs, the live Pearl Jam podcast experience featuring Mr. Stone Gossip. Fucking camera in the truck. Four Legs, the definitive live Pearl Jam podcast. My name is not Randy Sobel. Uh, <laughs> I'm John Farrar, and I'm here with uh, Chris Buckley. How you doing? I'm doing great, John. Uh, very hey, happy man. to be here. It's I gotta say, it's uh, it's a little odd that Randy is not here. This is yeah, the first if you're, time. If you're not aware, Randy's <laughs> off uh, getting married uh, to his uh, lovely bride, and they're probably they're taking some time off. Well deserved. Uh, we wish him the best. Congratulations. Uh, so Chris and I are here to uh, th- actually. This is the first time we've we've been on the show together. The Absolutely. First time we talked. So, uh, but we kind of have a uh, we kind of have a similar wheelhouse. I think the show that we're going to talk about today kind of fits into both of our wheelhouses. Like you, you were very young when this show happened. I um, was not born yet. <laughs> not born yet. So um, I was thirteen, I think. Uh, so that gives you an idea. Um, but we're this is actually the the earliest show that uh, Live on Four Legs has covered. So, um, what do you think about this show? To tell tell us, tell us what we're going to be doing today. Uh, we are going to be doing Vault Number One out of the Pearl Jam Vault, uh, January seventeenth, nineteen ninety two, live at the Moore Theater in Seattle, Washington. Legendary show. Uh, there's a reason that it was the first Vault show uh, that the band would release. It is, as we were just kind of discussing uh, before we actually started recording, arguably every performance in this concert, and I I suppose you could say this about a lot of these early 90s concerts, but considerably better than the album performances. The, The energy is on full display, and again, not to sound like a broken record, you really can say that about a lot of these early shows, and of course even today, but you know, really, really hammers at home in the early 90s. But uh, this show is a, a classic uh, for a number of reasons. A lot of very famous photos that have emerged uh, from this show. A homecoming show in Seattle. A lot of the local community at this show in you know January of 1992. The band is starting to explode. Uh, grunge music, if you want to call it that, however you oh, want to go about let's that. Let's not say that. Whatever, let's, let's whatever not. you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a, it's a no-no. Some people, it's taboo. Whatever. Uh, the the movement is taking off. This sort of music is exploding all over the place, and they have just kind of come back from a little cross U.S. trek. They had a couple days off, and now they go and they play 
uh, this this big homecoming show again in Seattle at the Moore Theater, and they are more than up to the task. Eddie sounds incredible from start to finish. The band sounds amazing, and you just have to appreciate the fact that the show is so old. The recording process at the time was uh, not nearly the same quality as you would get today, of course. Uh, not uh, a common uh, theme with these early shows where you get a bootleg of this type of quality. And again, that's the reason that it is the Vault Show, and the band made the decision to release the show. And their engineer, Brett Eliason, making that decision as well and doing a great job a few years ago of, of really putting the show together and, and getting it out to the fans because it is truly uh, an incredible performance from start to finish, and uh, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, if you were, let's talk about that. If you were lucky enough to be at the PJ20 Festival back in Alpine Valley in 2011, right. there's a chance you have the vault CD of this show. And I was just looking on Discogs before we before we started recording. This CD goes for about 100 bucks on average. So if you, if you were lucky enough to get one, I guess they were giving them out for free at the festival. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many they made, but if you were lucky enough to get one, that's uh, that's quite a collector's item. Yeah, so I was actually there. Um, I don't remember <laughs> this. I really don't. Um, side note, that was an incredible festival. I mean, just absolutely awesome. Oh, but yeah. uh, it, it, just reading on this little post here, it's actually from the, the, the day of uh, one of the days of the festival. I think this was the first day, uh, September 3rd, 2011. There's a, a post on Two Feet Thick of them just kind of going through what these goodies were that were being handed out and in that goodie bag was the vault cd there was also a jeff amon uh solo little sampler cd a couple little wristbands and stickers things like that but the first bullet point if you go to the article vault number one january 17th 1992 first sentence the vault has opened it is a simple cardboard sleeve with no liner notes or info this famous show from the 10 era famous for the filming of the even flow video and a crowd surfing photo of eddie that graced the cover of rolling stone does not feature the closer baba o'reilly which is a good point that we should bring up but as the uh the bullet point states and is the most important thing i think that we can say the quote the sound is glorious and it certainly is as i said it's such an old show and brett eliason actually says uh there's another interview here on the same website two feet thick he says it was recorded using a sony pcm 3324 recorder and it had to be sent to a specialty transfer house to be transferred to a current working format so i can only imagine them like the truck in the middle of the night like transported armed guards sending it to the facility under under like heavy supervision <laughs> like a, the amount of care that they had to take with this recording i'm sure it was intense exactly um it, it really is a good interview if you have a second if you if you just google you know two feet thick bread ice and uh, vault number one whatever uh, it'll pop right up he, he makes a, a really good insightful point it just kind of takes you inside that night uh, he says, uh, the question that they ask him, he says, um, Two Feet Thick says, it, it's famous because of the popularity of the Evenflow video. As far as the origins of this being the first Vault release, did you suggest that show or did the band suggest it? He says, actually, I dug that one up, though I had band approval as always. I had remembered bringing a multi-track tape machine, as we just mentioned, and console into the Moore Theater basement to record the performance for the video shoot. There's an almost full video shoot, uh, obviously, from beginning to end, with Evenflow being, of course, the famous one. Um, but he says, I have, we, have very, uh, f we have precious few 
multi-tracks from those first couple of years as the modular systems did not exist as of yet. A buddy of mine actually watched over the recording during the show as I was doing front of house. I wanted the first of that series to be a special show that had some real quote-unquote historical value to it. So clearly, if you have this guy, Brett Eliason, that has from the very beginning been with the band he's telling you straight up this is the first show that i thought of for vault number one just just really supports the fact that this is really an impactful show uh, for the band and they did and they did cd only i think for the first couple of vaults vault number two was vic theater i think right we covered that show yes uh early on and then they started doing vinyl with uh vault number three and so on and so forth um so yeah so in you know let's go back to kind of january 92 so 10 comes out August 1991, so we're about five months out from the release of 10. They've been touring at this point for pretty much a year a straight. A lot, a lot. So they they did those first few shows, like the off-ramp in, in October 90. They did another show in December of 90, the second show. And then starting in January, they were pretty much off and running. Oh, absolutely. Um, going around the country pushing this thing. So at this point, they're a well-oiled machine on the road, uh, being, on, being in the van for a year playing almost every night they knew these songs you know front to back forwards and backwards up and down left and right so uh what do you say let's get into it yeah absolutely and i would just uh, just to make one quick point off of what you just said uh I think if you go back and listen to a lot of the early 91 shows um even into the beginning of the of the 10 tour there's definitely you know a sense that they're still kind of feeling each other out i think uh it's it's a little bit more raw uh, not quite as polished. When you reach this show, the, uh, you said it perfectly. They are well-oiled machine. They know exactly what they're doing. Everything's on point. They have been doing this clearly. That have been doing this long enough uh, to for January '92 to to get this kind of sound uh, and uh, sort of reaction from the crowd and, and everything. Where they're at a point where they're they they've reached that that point where they're up and running and they're they're going to go out and. Uh, right, they're ready to explode, you know. So that's that's where we're at. Definitely, and uh, and we should also mention too. This is not only the earliest show that Live on Four Legs is covered, but also the very first Seattle show. So yeah. uh, that's it. Took us a while, but we, we've we've got a good one here. Um, so we start off with the Master Slave intro. getting into release what do you what do you think about release yeah release is is fantastic here um a a lot of these early 90s performances i mean don't get me wrong i i still love hearing release today love you know all throughout their career release is incredible it's one of my favorite songs but there's just something about i don't know these for a lot of songs maybe it is the 10 all all the songs from 10 um where i i find myself really sort of leaning towards listening to these earlier performances uh eddie right out of the gate there's no rust or 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 need to warm up he from the start is clearly raring to go Which way to go? 
It feels on point to me. It's a good opener in this case based on what the second song is, I think, that they play, which is Evenflow, which we'll get to. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about these two together. Yeah. I, I love this like one and two punch with release and Evenflow. Right. And I think doing Evenflow in this two to three hole is a, a pretty common thing in these early, you know, 91, 92 sets. Uh, for the band and it's a great dynamic uh, it really a lot of it depends on what your taste is to these days with how i mean just how many songs they play you really have a lot more options of course you know between long road and wash etc oceans whatever you can yeah. really pick your poison at this point you have to remember their, their their catalog is so small so you have to construct the set in a way that um you don't have as many uh, options here. So Eddie and the band clearly opting to go with the slow opener with release. And then right out of the gate, right after the, the slow, op- slow burner to start it off, you go right into even flow. And, and even flow has kind of a false start. Like they, they kind of screwed up at the beginning and then they have to restart it. Um, right. Now, even flow is obviously one of the iconic performances from this show. Do you remember the first time you saw that video? I do. You- I do. I do. Um, I remember sitting, oh man, well the first time I, I ever heard the song was I used to go to, I'm an Islander fan, uh, living in, you know, I live in New York, so when I was younger, go to watch the Isles play in Nassau Coliseum, they'd be playing Even Flow all the time, you know, great hockey song, great yeah. arena song, etc. The first time I remember seeing the video, which is, it, it's kind of like the two things are related, I was sitting on my grandparents' couch and it was late at night and MTV had been on for some reason and they were still playing music at this point, I guess. And this had to be... Okay, so it was still, it was on MTV that you saw it. Right, right. But it was not, like, let me be clear, this was not when it first premiered. Not even close. Sure, this was sure. into the 2000s. Um, I would say probably the early 2000s, 03, 04, at which at that point it was really like, a, it could have been like a throwback show at that point. Um, but I do remember seeing the video and hearing the song and being like, oh, wait, that's e- that's that song that I would hear at the honor game and seeing the video. And it's like, wow, just I remember the hair Eddie's <laughs> so much hair, yeah, yeah. you know, the hair going all over the place and, and the flannel and everything. And then when I finally, you know, I, I was only maybe like nine, ten at that point. I didn't really become a fan fan until I was 15, 16. I would watch that video all the time in school. I was in a media class in high school, and me and uh, two of my friends, my buddies, we would have some time to kill sometimes on the computer. We would go to YouTube, and we would just watch all of these early 90s rock videos, and that was always the one I'd be putting on. So clearly stuck with me. It's such a well-put-together video. Um, It's just, it captures everything. I really, I just feel like the video captures that energy so well um, and was a big reason why I think a lot of people became attracted. I mean, you're putting this video out to the masses, uh, to the world, where maybe people haven't seen you, and they see that and they go, "Oh my God, I have to go see this band. It's this is incredible. I mean, I, I have to yeah. be part of this." You know, the guys jumping off the, <laughs> off the rafters in the ceiling, and uh, 
you know, this guy's soloing like Hendrix and they've got so much groove and this guy's slamming on the drums like a maniac and it, it just, it draws you in, you know, it draws you into the scene and the energy and, and makes you want to be a part of it and go witness it for yourself. Yeah, I remember the, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but like I said, I was 13 and I remember in, in school during the lunch break, we would go down underneath the cafeteria and they had a little room with a pool table and a TV and nice. we would watch, we would hang out during our lunch break, uh, the the cool kids, you know, <laughs> um, and we would watch MTV on a lunch break. And I remember whenever the Alive video, the Evenflow video would pop up early on, it would always be like, whoa, stop what you're doing and watch this. Because right. it was such a cool thing to, to A, get the live audio, but then the the video as well, you know, no, you know, no fancy you know, cinematography, anything like that. You're just basically seeing them live. And yeah, such, such an iconic performance. Like you just, you wanted to be in that room. Right. 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 Like I said, it just draws you in. And, um, I, I think it, it, it's perfect for them because they are a band that has always prided themselves on their live performances. So when you see a video like that, that's a music video that's not really a music video if that makes sense you know it's not a traditional music video in the sense it's it's not a commercial it's not a commercial music video for the song it's not you know there's not a bunch of crazy image imagery and and things like that it's simply a performance it's a live performance that puts the viewer in the room and that's what they were going for so now obviously yeah they knew that the show was going to be filmed it was all set up ahead of time uh i mean you get eddie yelling at the director josh taft yeah uh, this is not a tv studio josh <laughs> turn these lights out so after uh so it's a kind of a cool thing too uh it turns out they they had actually had a technical glitch in the recording of the audio for even flow and so the audio from the video is actually from the re-recorded version with Dave A that you hear on the on the video but you're getting you're getting the video just not the official audio from the show Dave A is just my he's he's my favorite Pearl Jam drummer it's that oh, simple we, we're gonna have to agree to disagree that's fine you know it, it's everybody has their own taste I just find sure. his hard-hitting style early days just it's just something different there's a different engine there in a different way and, and not an engine in this, I mean Matt Cameron is an engine but just different a little more I don't know swing or something there's just a little more vibe that that sits better with me so so I think the the moment that everyone remembers from this video is the crowd jump oh yeah um, we, we're gonna have to uh, to talk about that that was the fun thing I think everyone who went to a Pearl Jam show after that expected expected to see to see that jump Oh, absolutely, and and like I said, you see, you know, you see that video. You're seeing this guy jumping out of the, out of the rafters and, and into this gigantic crowd. It's like, especially if like you're a younger person that time, which which is basically, you know, all Generation X sitting at home watching this. And how do you not want to go see that? And they're touring oh, yeah. so much at this point. It, it was it was the perfect imagery for the band. The perfect without being an ad you know ad for the band to attract fans to come to the shows i to, i can't imagine you're sitting at home l- listening to this new wave of music that's coming out of seattle and all of a sudden you see that and you don't want to go see just i don't i just find it to be impossible so 
that jump iconic along with you know like the pink pop jump which we did a few weeks ago just you know it's it's something uh in the lore of the band so to speak after even flow you get ed coming on talking about fishbone uh saying it's your house talking to the crowd um just pushing that crowd engagement probably wanted people to come up closer um after even flow we get once and state of love and trust uh anything stand out to you from these um you know nothing in particular other than eddie the thing with this show is even though a lot like we said a lot of the performances are when you listen they're they're like the album on steroids but you know even better i love when eddie goes for those high notes especially like in state love that it's this era where he's it's still so new for them and he you know they're so young and to be able to hear that so clearly is awesome i i love i love that's the one thing i love about a lot of the the these early shows it's it's not just the energy it's not um a, a lot of people will always say that they like you know the live stuff better than the albums which i'm the same way but i do find myself a lot of times when i listen to bootlegs i find myself comparing them subconsciously i guess to the album recordings or the the studio recordings this is a perfect example where it's like when he does sometimes do it the same way that it's done on the album i love it and that's where state that's that's how i feel about this performance of state where he is pretty much doing it almost exactly like they did in the studio vocally which I love that. So, and I'll make I'll make Randy proud. Give him a little out here. This was the twentieth time State of Love and Trust had been played. Only the twentieth. So by this time, it, you know, it kind of started out as more of a slower tempo song. Yes. Not really, a, not really a dirge, but more like a kind of a plodding rhythm to it. Yep. But by this time, they they really tightened it up, and it kind of it become that three and a half, you know, three and three quarters minute song that it that it ended up being on singles. And uh, and they do both of the both of the single songs at the show, um, right. you know Matt Dillon in the crowd supposedly. Um, well, so. that's actually I'm I'm glad you bring that up because yeah. right before State, that's where Eddie he talks for a moment and says. I actually saw somebody in the in the crowd that had a singles T-shirt on, like they were in the movie or something. Who is that guy? How many of you guys are in that movie Singles? It's like listening to the show is like putting yourself in the scene for a night. When you listen, just just the banter on the stage, the references they make, the the topics that Ed brings up at the time. You know, he's talking about, like you said, um, what like the people outside from the animal rights group. Or something, mm-hmm. right? You just spoke about that, right? And you know, he says, you know, oh, go outside and you know, did you look at the pamphlets that I told you about? Did you look at the pamphlets about, you know, about veal? And he's talking about all these different things that 
he would still be talking about today, of course, but to hear oh, yeah. it at this point in their career is so cool. And they're talking about Grunt Truck and, and Soundgarden and singles. And, you know, he's like, who's in singles? Who's in singles? It's like you're in, you're there. It, like, puts you in this ex- right as um, as the scene is about to really explode. It's like you're getting a sneak peek into, you know, that point in time. And I just think that is so cool. So cool. It's one of those things where singles, if you know, remember that movie, they filmed a lot of club shows. You know, you, you don't get Pearl Jam, but you get Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Some of those were filmed at shows like this. So a lot of those people probably were in singles. Exactly. Exactly. And it just goes to show you how tight knit this community was and everybody knowing everybody and going out to all these shows. And um, it, I just, and, I you love know, and that. They were, able to, they were able to be loose, being that it's a Seattle show be in their hometown you know they're not playing in dubuque iowa or new york city or anything like that they probably were friends with most people in the crowd so they can afford to be loose and play around with things and 100 percent. and if you do listen to some of the other bootlegs where they're from or whatever in 91 92 eddie he could sound a little nervous on stage you know he sounds very timid and uh, like he's a little bit walking on eggshells, doesn't maybe have the most confidence in the world. If you listen to this one and just listen to what the band is actually saying uh, or what Eddie is saying, there's no awkwardness. There's no uneasiness. He's very confident. They are having a lot of fun. They are clearly in their element. They are very, very much in their element in playing in this show. They're very comfortable and they just g- seem genuinely happy to be there which is awesome. Um, Ed does a little speech before Alive. Um, I just want to um, get a point across here. And um, Jeff and I did an, uh, an interview with, can you hear me? Thanks. Jeff and I did an interview in Columbus, Ohio after we played one night and it was for just a college paper, but the guys we met and who talked to us were really cool, and I told them I wouldn't do an interview unless we climbed up on this ledge thing that was over this water, and they did. And we, uh, we had this really great talk, and um, I got in the mail today that interview in the paper, and um, some pictures of us together that we had taken, and it was really cool, And then I, but I was reading this letter, and um, the letter was telling me how uh, one of the guys had died. December 15th in a, in a car accident. And um, Jeff lost a friend as well, uh, uh, somebody he wrote and shared letters with and, and um, died of a car accident, I think, December 27th. What am I trying to prove? What am I trying to say? I'm just saying, and I'm just thinking that we don't know what happens after we're here. We don't know, do you know? This is all there is, out of all the planets, of all of it, this is it. This is all there is. So don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up with the environment, don't fuck it up with like mistreating animals and using them for our rights. And, and most of all, just appreciate fucking being alive. I love this little speech from Ed yep. in, in 1992, talking about some of the same, same things that are still relevant today. Absolutely. And it's, it, it, it just, I don't know, there's a real human element 
to and a little it's a little philosophical really <laughs> that little, that little speech where he's asking you know do you know do you know what happens after this do you like i don't know do you know it's just yeah. it, it's kind of funny you know humorous in in that regard but yeah. so that leads right into the to the live song then this little section here we've got a live black and then uh suggestion into why go uh, anything uh, stand out to you in this little set here? Um, if you listen to the Pink Pop show uh, where Randy and Bradley and I did it together, I'm a big suggestion, pulled up, etc. guy, love the little tag. Um, very cool, kind of gives the band a little bit of a break, and Eddie gets to do his own little back and forth with the crowd kind of a thing where he goes off and on his little tangent i guess while they're tuning up or whatever they're they're doing behind him Um, i like to think he's he's pretending he's in fugazi absolutely (laughs) uh don't we all um so uh yeah it's just I, i i love that he from the very beginning is working his influences and his favorite bands into the live performances you know he's has no problem doing that he just has he just so it's just so good again from the very beginning it's just connecting with the crowd and, and doing something that's just kind of quirky and a little weird i mean there's nothing playing it's just totally just him on his own just talking yeah. basically scatting and and singing <laughs> like and he know, does the, the exact the exact rhythm of his voice that that ian does too right right so just again shows you that he is very aware of his influences and and trying to uh sew these things into his own performances and uh they're very evident you know from the beginning for for eddie so and how cool is it to get suggestion into why go that's not something you would normally get no to be suggestion into into something else right um you know, it's a middle of the show kind of a thing. Again, I don't, I don't know if maybe they were doing something, you know, tuning up or changing instruments behind, you know, behind him, and he mm-hmm. was just trying to stall uh, and and get, get, you know, keep the crowd entertained for a minute. But um, you know, once that beat kicks in, you're right. It's kind of silent for a second, I think, before right. before Dave A starts hitting that bass drum for Why Go, and it just, oh, it's just so, it just kicks in so well. slight break for like a couple seconds where it's almost silent it actually feels it, it sounds really really quiet in in the bootleg and the performance but then as soon as that drum 
kicks in. Every you can hear the crowd start to really get into it, and then you know Eddie going with the hey 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 hey. Um, yeah, this is a really intense performance of Wago. It's really good. It, it is. Um, which I'm just thinking now. Actually, I have a point. I I would just make a general point about the whole mix of the show. And again, as we said earlier, the the recording process for this was not very uh, simple for Brett Eliason. It's actually pretty cumbersome, and it took a lot of work for them to even be able to put it together. So I guess beggars can't be choosers. But my point being, I actually find Mike's guitar very low in the mix of this bootleg. I feel like Stone's guitar really drowns him out a great deal. It feels like the the mix was either recorded or remixed or mastered, etc., where maybe Mike's, you know, McCready's mic wasn't as hot or as loud in mm-hmm. the mix as the other and guys. And back then, they probably weren't even playing through a PA. It was probably just the amps. It could have been like his amp was turned exactly a different way or something could have been just something simple like that right right which and even at this point in time i mean he he's still great but i i I, he's kind of like eddie i mean he gets better over time um you know mccready i think is a way better guitarist now you know even in like 1995 96 98 than he was in these early days i mean he still shreds don't get me wrong i mean it's incredible but i you know wish we could i could sound yeah he was he he hadn't really found his signature style he was doing a lot of hendrix a lot exactly. of stevie ray a lot he was he was really channeling those influences early on he had yet to really find his voice with the guitar yep lots of blues pentatonic mm-hmm. scales things like that so he like yeah you said it perfectly hadn't really found his his own definitive sound just yet so um in that regard, I, I guess you know it's not as big of a deal, but I still love listening t- to him play. I love being able to hear him slightly more than everything else. So I guess that's just my my own opinion. That's my own take, but that's just an observation I, I wanted to throw out there. I don't know if I'm yeah, the only one that hears it. If you, if you listen to the bootleg, I, I just feel like it's a little lower. So so this next couple of songs, Deep and Jeremy, we get the uh, the really throaty Ed scream at the beginning of Deep. think of deep and jeremy yeah um pristine eddie sounding um the scream love the scream big like any and i randy knows this too i'm a big fan of the early heavy stuff deep blood you know go animal i guess to a certain degree this is this is the way i love deep Right. That really, where that riff, like I said before, really dives up and down, really in and out. That really hits a groove, and it's you really feel the the riff, you know, going in and out. Yep, one hundred percent. And when you have a guy that hits as hard as Dave Hay does, um, you just get this is like the wah wah. It's just everything. Just that's. I mean, at this point in time, this is their that's their heaviest song. Deep is oh yeah. Deep is hands down their heaviest song that they play at this point. So 
it's it's it just I guess shows how dynamic they they are. I mean, to have it sound that heavy live, where I guess on the album, I guess on ten, it's it still sounds pretty heavy, but there's definitely they take it to another level of just all around just sounding so. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. it you know, between the, the drum kicking in and just the way that they play those first two chords, it really, really resonates with me as someone who likes that heavy kind of stuff. So I, I yeah, needless to say, big fan of this performance of Deep. And Jeremy, a song that I I went through a period where I loved it. And then I kind of stopped liking it nearly as much. And then I find myself over the last like year and a half now really starting to like Jeremy again, even the more uh, recent modern performances. But the old performance is definitely a big fan of at this point. It's it's become that it's become that moment where everyone gets to gets to throw their hands up and go, whoa, exactly. That's the part that you wait for now. Right. And and at this point in time, the music video has not been released. Right. It has not quite reached that pinnacle of popularity that I think it does later in 92 into 93. I, it's not quite even flow. It's not really alive at this point in time. I feel like those two would probably be the more, you know, go-to popular songs at this point in their rise to stardom. Jeremy is kind of waiting. I, I don't think it reaches that point until a little bit later as far as the 10 songs are concerned. So um, I don't know if you, if the crowd watching maybe had quite, you know, had the reaction where it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you know Jeremy, oh, this is awesome. Like, yeah, they perform it incredibly as as they do every other song in the show but does it really you know do you think it really has that same kind of impact i guess on the crowd as yeah, it would some it, of the other songs and it's and it's funny and he even he even says the name of the song he goes real quick before the goes jeremy <laughs> it just as if to be like hey this is this is what this is called in case right. you don't know it right, right? He, here's what we're playing Here, um, here's the name of the song but I think yeah the the video was so huge and it resonated with so many people that that kind of elevated the song to another level and it hadn't quite gotten there yet it was it was more just like a deep album cut off a 10 at this point right and, and you've got you know months to go before the um, the music video comes out so uh, Ed has one more thing he he wants to tell us and that leads into the one, two, three, four of Porch. Um, we got it. We get an eight-minute-plus version of Porch here. Yep. Um, now we don't have a video, unfortunately. They they they're keeping that in the vault. But uh, but what do you think is going on in this version of Porch? Well, don't we get the photo? Isn't this the Lance Mercer photo where he's climbing through the crowd? Was oh, that from from PlayState? Is that in PlayState? Um, I'm pretty sure that photo. It's the famous one where Eddie's yeah. like walking along the wall, hanging on we'll, to. We'll find it and post it. Right. Uh, I am a strong anti slow porch person. Hashtag fast porch. Hashtag fast porch. Love fast porch like this. I wish they would just go back to playing it just like this. Well, I wish the, they would mix it up a little bit. Don't always do the slow porch. Or sh- sure, sure. At least mix it you up. know, keep me on. You know, keep us on our toes. Yeah, can you imagine the reaction if they came out of the show next year and did one, two, three, four? What the fuck is this? Where like people would go nuts. Of course, absolutely. So, um, 
I found this performance of Porch, at least the, especially the very beginning, to be perfect. Stone plays it so well and so on time, and Eddie is just singing it just the way that you know you want him to sing it. I just love how tight it is. The beginning of the song is so tight, where it's the kind of song if you play guitar it's 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 a little weird to play it's so fast especially when you play it as quickly as they do especially in the early days he plays it just as he does on the album where there's no bleed through of the different chords or anything like that if it's hard for me when i'm saying it it doesn't make maybe as as much sense as, as it does in my head so if you go listen to it if you haven't listened to this to this show yet you'll you'll kind of hear what i'm saying where it's like if you start it right at the very beginning, or right after he says one, two, three, four, it's like you just turn the album on. One, two, three, four. What the fuck is this world? Run into you, did Leave a message at least I cuddle in your voice one last time. Daily might feel this good. Be my time by you. Would you hit me? Would you hit me? That's, that's, I think, what I'm trying to get at, which is pretty hard to do live sometimes. So I just thought that was really cool, just how tight and on time and in in sync Stone and Eddie were to start the song. And at this point, you know, the, the porch jam kind of became, it almost was out of necessity due to the fact that Eddie would be climbing on the rafters somewhere trying to, trying to get up to the ceiling of wherever they were playing. So that extended porch jam was kind of a a function of the band needing to keep playing something while he was up there. I mean, you can't just stop and have silence right. while everyone, while everyone's looking at you. It's, it's that moment that, uh, that everyone waits for, but which, uh, which uh, of course at this point in time is a common thing where they're always trying oh, to fill yeah. time where he's climbing. Um, and I am looking at the picture right now. Um, it is Lance Mercer, 1992, more theater, Eddie climbing along the sidewall with the crowd, physically holding him up as he's walking through and then wow. he falls through falls down everybody kind of moves back with him and his shirt comes off somehow uh and that's the picture you get on the rolling stone cover from 1999 best concerts of the 90s there's eddie right on the cover with no shirt leaning back over the crowd at the moore theater in 1992 so really really cool stuff and just while I guess while I'm just touching on these Mercer photos, the other really famous one is the photo that's included on the back of the Vault Number One CD, the paper little pamphlet, the little thing, cardboard sleeve, yeah. right? Is the one where it's kind of hard to explain. Actually, if you if you know the picture, you definitely know the picture. It's it, Dave A is not in it. Eddie's kind of crouched down in the front, holding the mic stand, facing away from the camera. Jeff is literally midair, jumping like Air Jordan, <laughs> spitting. Stone is just grooving along, doing his thing, and his hair is kind of in his face. And then McCready's on the far side of the stage, just rocking out. And they're just in full, you know, just full jam, essentially. Oh, yeah. So if you look it up, you know it. Yeah. We don't talk about this enough, probably, but... We're so lucky that they realized from the beginning that some of this stuff needed to be documented. And, like, they they had video cameras and they had a crew and they had people taking photos and all that stuff was, was saved. Because a lot of stuff, 
from the early '90s from a lot of bands didn't make didn't survive, right? You know? And people were lucky to have these recordings and these. Hopefully, one day we'll get the whole video um, if they decide to just open up the vaults like Fugazi did. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's. I mean, we don't mention that often enough that we're. You know, who would have thought? You know, almost thirty years later that that we're still referring back to the stuff and still talking about it. Right. Right. And do yourself a favor if you've never actually seen all these photos that I'm talking about. If you're a fan, you probably know them already, but it's just cool to go back and look at them anyway. There's just so many just, you know, I mean, the guy's right on the stage. I mean, he's right there with the band on the stage as they're about to explode into superstardom, capturing this amazing moment in time for the band in you know seattle just music history in general it's just really cool stuff gotta love it i think we would we would be silly not to mention the little side note on the uh the stagehand set list that we were talking about before. yeah dude i'm not sure yeah i was gonna say i'm not sure if we mentioned at the beginning but on the courtesy of five horizons if everybody from back in the 90s remembers five horizons.com that was the place to go for uh for pearl jam info uh r.i.p the rumor pit um, but there was a, uh, they have actually, if you go to the concert chronology from the show, they have a photo of the film crew set list scan and it has all the songs and, you know, which ones, you know, it has the numbers of where they were, what album track they were, the approximate length of, of the song. A couple of them says do not film, but, uh, but what does it say next to porch, uh, Chris? Singer may do theater climb. <laughs> May do theater. May climb. may do theater climb, may which is so funny. Theater climb. I just love so it. that. So that was included. a little note for the cameras, like be ready to follow him if he if he starts to wander off. And then it made it into uh, into history, into music video history. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So sorry. then, yeah, we you know we get a little uh, little encore break. Um, Ed talks a little bit. Uh, you know, someone named Jessica Curtis gets a shout out. Whoever that is, uh, does he call her his girlfriend? Does he? He does. Yeah, I, I couldn't he, make it out on the recording. He, sa- he says, "I want to introduce you to my girlfriend." I think he's joking. I'm pretty yeah, sure it's yeah. like a it's like a tongue in cheek, right? Like, joking kind of a thing where he brings some woman up on the stage and they say, "I thought it might have been like a Kelly Curtis reference." Yeah, I don't know what exactly it was but they start chanting her name and then he says oh she couldn't hear you she couldn't hear you this is the first time she's heard her name from this many people before she never thought she'd hear it say it again and they're like jessica curtis jessica (laughs) curtis and that he kind of gets this chant goes like everybody everybody jessica Curtis." she probably got that for a couple years after this wherever she went i'm sure i'm sure if it was a real person we don't even know (laughs) um so then we get a really cool uh encore here uh let's talk about this a little bit um we get leash only the seventh time uh leash has been played he says uh you know this is a new one um and we get a cool little intro to this uh that they would do a few times back in the day uh it does a little bit of outshined by soundgarden which was their big hit at the time yep and i'm a huge huge soundgarden fan as well so it's very cool to me and of course, they're all friends, you know, Cornell and the band and, and everybody for, is totally friends with Pearl Jam, obviously. So it's a cool little nod to them. And for all we know, and I'm sure they that they were, they probably were at the show watching, oh, the, I'm sure. watching the band and on the side of the stage. So that's a pretty cool uh, little lead in right there. Absolutely. Um, it actually starts out where it's like it sounds like Mike or Stone is playing it 
as like a joke at first and then because no one really reacted that much at first like you hear the riff that song called drop the leash drop the leash get out of my fucking face yes and, and you know leashes of course not not yet released at this time still about a year or so away i think a lot of people thought that drop the leash was actually the name of the song back then i think if you look at a lot of bootlegs and stuff you would see the name of the track would be drop the leash um well that's because yeah, how eddie is, always introduces it absolutely absolutely um i think they should have kept the long title drop the leash drop the leash get out of my fucking face but <laughs> no one asked me um, but yeah, for the seventh time ever being played, this is a this is a great sounding version of Leash. It is. It's a very well polished performance, as we've said, and clearly a song that they had been had been written and had been working on for quite some time. Even though it doesn't actually make it on an album until Verses, and we had an interesting stat. I remember when we were doing the Pink Pop show, and of course, off the top of my head, I can't remember the exact numbers, but they had played leash more times before versus was released than they have after to oh, this yeah, day I remember that yeah which is wild to me and i think a lot of it does have to do with the fact that it a is kind of hard to, to for ed to sing it's a it's a very high energy song and i think the meaning has really kind of changed for them. I don't think it quite has that same, you know, it's teenage angst kind mm, of exactly. kind of kind of thing. It's, it's an immature song theme, and it's it's something that they, as they moved into the mid '90s and the late '90s, they kind of got away from that, you know, quote unquote grunge, you know, that early sound and saying drop the leash drop the leash get on my fucking face doesn't have the same meaning that it did back in 1991 yeah ex- exactly that's exactly what i'm trying to say and maybe now it might have that they might maybe for Maddie's perspective maybe he's looking at it from like a, for like the younger generation of fans maybe that there are now or like you know the kids that he sees and, and everything yeah. like that where yeah you know, keep we, your youth we you know that. enjoy your youth you know uh, I'll, I'll give a little uh, a little plug for our patreon if you go to patreon.com slash live on four legs uh you can get the uh the evolution episode that we did on leash where we talked about the the life of the song how it how it started out and how, what it became later on so um if you want to check that out patreon.com slash live on four legs uh one dollar a month uh, whatever you want to give, you get access to those evolution episodes and some other cool stuff that we're working on. Absolutely. So get on that. Uh, <laughs> I would say <laughs> that this is probably my favorite performance of Leash. Oh yeah. I would say this, and I think I maybe I might have said that Pink Pop's performance was. They're, they're both right there. I, they, okay. Th- they're my two go-to's. I would say. Nice. That, so nice. definitely, definitely big fan. Um, so after Leash, uh, we get Breath. The other uh, single song that we talked about, "Breath," has a cool little solo at the end. Normally, normally this would surface in uh, in a live, but you get Mike throws in a little bit of War Pigs in the "Breath" solo. Yep. Fire! 
really cool where I, I mean, I love when they do stuff like that, you know, where oh, yeah. they, where they do little tags and things where the war pigs one. Yeah. It's you automatically think alive and th- which is always cool. But for us to even be able to go back and, and listen to this from at this point in time and, and see that he's doing it with a different song is, is so cool. So they're, they're very versatile clearly from very early on able to, to, to basically do whatever they want on a whim and you know just to, to, to play live like that and have that kind of chemistry and to be able to think on their feet like that and, and come up with something like that so seamlessly in the middle of a performance is, is incredible so yeah Breath at this point it's it's again it's got that early version where the riff is really strong from Stone Stone is just mm-hmm. a beast in, in 1991, 1992 and um, so after Breath uh, I think Jeff comes on the microphone says uh i think the you know, the crowd's still still cheering still wanting more jeff comes on and says guys we don't really know any more songs <laughs> which doesn't seem right like they didn't play oceans they didn't play garden uh seems like they could have they could have knocked out something else off of 10 if they really had tried those are the only two that they didn't play correct right, yeah right i believe so um so then he says uh we're going to we're going to try something that we've only we've only tried at sound check uh, so we'll see how it goes. Is now is this the the sound check that they that they hint at in PJ Twenty movie where they're backstage at, at Lollapalooza? Is that the sound check they're talking about? Probably. I don't want to say for sure because I yeah. don't really know for sure. But yeah, that it could be. logic seems logical and feasible. So yeah, if you if you haven't watched it recently, there's there's a little clip backstage at Lollapalooza where they're they're in like a dressing yes. room. And, you know, Eddie's, the, the camera's on Eddie, he's got, like, the backwards baseball hat on, and he's yep. he's screaming along. He's got, like, this really intense, like, happy face, and he's screaming along to Baba O'Reilly. Um, and then that we, kicks uh, into the whole montage of all the different performances, which mm-hmm. is so cool. Yeah, that that could have been the, the, the one he's talking about here. And, you know, Eddie comes on and says, hey, are we really going to do this? And I think that's probably, i got to think this was his idea, being, being the Who fan. Oh, um, of course. So uh, that's we're really going to do this uh, a mixture of trepidation and excitement probably. <laughs> um, so they they come on. Mike starts the riff, and again another little false start there. Um, then Ed comes on and says, "Oh, anybody got a guess? Anybody guess what it is?" And then they they go into the song, and this is the first ever performance of Baba O'Reilly. And that is history for <laughs> a band that loves to play that song so much and. Interestingly enough, on the vault recording, the actual vault itself, it is not on there. It is left right. off. It is again due to a, a supposedly due to a quote unquote technical glitch. Yep, and just to go, you know, take it right from the actual source. Again, this two feet thick interview with uh, Brett Eliason, they say, hey, Baba was cut. Having heard the audience recording, I know the performance isn't optimal. Was it an editorial or technical reason that it was left off? And Brett says, it was left off mostly due to the failure of Ed's mic line. And there's actually a couple times throughout the show, and this is just me talking now, there's a couple times in the show where he just like stops singing randomly and i don't know if it's because of his mic or he's just going crazy and maybe like drops it or something but that's a side note if you listen to it you'll yeah see what i'm I mean. sure they were they were bouncing all over the stage you know, right stuff but, happens you know they hadn't yet uh, they weren't quite able to afford the wireless mics on everything yet 
100%. So then Brett just finishes up by saying, We lost part of the vocals during that song in both the house and monitors during the show. Once a new line was squared away, the recording did not have it. Constant challenges of a live performance. The fact that all of that technology usually works at all is amazing. So we got the rest of the show, you know, whatever it is, 13, 12, 13 songs. But yeah. no, no first time Baba uh, from that really good quality standpoint. But you, right. get, you get that kind of crappy-ish yeah, uh, you know, if you, there's an, there's there is an audience recording where you where you do get to hear it. We'll play some of that. So that's it. Um, anything? Uh, let's go through our top three moments. What do you got for me? I would say that the transition from release into even flow has got to be there. The just the filming of the music video happening in this show is so cool to me to have that footage of the band i guess that's kind of like two points in one but whatever um i just <laughs> i'll allow it I, I will allow it i just think that it's it, it's history it's band history where you're looking at the show where w- one of these first music videos that helps propel the band into stardom superstardom makes them what they are helps make them as popular as they would become. Yeah, I mean, I think about me being a 13-year-old kid. How many other 13-year-old kids saw that on MTV? It's like, that's my favorite band now. See? That's 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 what I mean. Yep. Um, that would have to be one. Two, I'm just going to have to say Eddie's voice the entire time. Like, every performance is so damn good, and he just sounds so incredible that... He was really coming to his coming into his own at this point. Yeah, I just his vocal performance in general, and maybe this has something to do with it. I actually think this is a good point to really quickly bring up if I could just find that again, where the tour itself at this point they had had. I'm curious how many days in a row they had off because it was a decent amount of time. So they, they had, played, they had they two played weeks. Rock Candy. They yes, played Rock Candy two on the weeks third, before. On January right. 3rd. So they had two weeks off to prepare for this show and for his voice to rest. That is a ton of time. So well, it's not it's nothing compared to the over a year that he's had now. Yeah, well, that's a different story. <laughs> but you know, when you're <laughs> well, he's 20, played some solo shows, I'll sure, give him credit for that. Sure. But when you're 26, 27, 28 years old, it's goes without saying it's a little easier. But sure. I just think that's a, a you know an interesting factor to throw in there that his voice was very well rested. And then third, hmm, I might have to go leash again. Okay. I, I I'm just such a big, uh, you know, maybe the the the, the dive during porch is up there you know leash honor, honorable maybe th- three three four yeah honor, one of those being an honorable mention okay. and, and just another cool. point i just i just think it's so cool as i, I said earlier to just how many cool photos have emerged from this show uh, outside of just the even flow music video footage that we've had so far but you know that they were willing to open up that vault with this show being the first one and Thanks. I, I I guess we have to say big thanks to Brett Eliason, right, for in- encouraging the band to open the vault and get this show out there. So, yeah, Brett, yeah. If, if you're listening, uh, live on Four Legs Podcast at Gmail dot com. Feel free Hit to us let up. us know. Come on the show. We'll we'll talk about it. That would be awesome. I would love yeah. to do something like that. I hope I hope we could do that someday. Just with anybody involved, the band would be so cool. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so How my about top you? three, um, number three, I'm going to say the, the alive speech Okay, that, Good that point. really 
made that version of the song for me. I, you know, it's, he puts things like he says things like that, and it just gives the song that extra push because you know he's he's putting he's feeling every word of it. You know, he's really meaning it, and it just gives the song an extra intensity for me. Um, number two, I'll say the even flow. You know, this is not a TV studio, Josh. <laughs> um, yeah, just that that whole even flow performance with it going right from release into even flow is classic. And uh, you know, I love the way it sounds. Just watched that video a million times in 1992. Love it. Um, and uh, my number one, I'll go up. You know, I'll, I'll say Bob O'Reilly the first time. I can only imagine like, you know, you put yourself in that room. How cool would it have been to to hear them just kind of like talking about it like oh should we try this like i don't know let's give it a shot and like, and to, to hear mike go into that opening riff and the, they they do pull it together at the end and it's it's great it's you know it's iconic and that that's my number one moment love it that's a good list that was very good I, a lot of stuff I, I i forgot about the live speech and that's a good one that's that's uh, no. definitely definitely worth mentioning so so i, I have a feeling i i know what you're gonna say but uh we should uh rate the show uh, what do you give the show out of uh, out of ten stick men? I'm gonna. G- I guess you have to give it a ten, in, as far as significance goes, and just overall meaning for the band, impact for the for the band. I would say maybe like an eight and a half to a nine overall, as far as like song selection and. They didn't you know, have any other songs. I, well, you know, the, you, know you could have done, you know, Rockin', what, Garden. Oh, I, like, I love Garden. Love Garden. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can... I, I got could, a feeling they could have done that. Sure. I, I could take or leave once, honestly. There's like, I, I, you could rearrange a couple things here. Overall, it's a pretty standard set, really, when you think about it at this point in time. Now, granted, yes, right. I understand that, like I said, you've said over and over again, like the catalog is small, yes, but... If we're gonna be nitpicky, which we can because we're doing a podcast about this band, <laughs> we, and it's and it's 2019 and there's no new album and no new shows. I, I, see, I, see, you get it. So, I, I I personally would rearrange a few things, but that's me. So, and that's in that regard, and plus you got some of the technical problems, which again is out of. We're really, I'm really being nitpicky with that. So. I'll, I'll I'll say eight and a half to a nine, so eight point seven five maybe. <laughs> so okay. For, for 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 overall set list and performance, I guess. Well, but. again, I'll be I'll be the the man of the people, and I'll come in and say that stuff doesn't bother me. I think it even makes it more endearing, makes it more classic. In early night show, I'm gonna say ten flat out. This is like one of the, one of the best early shows, like pre ninety four. It's. It's right up there with Soldier Field, Atlanta '94, uh, Berlin '96. Um, it's one of those that you know if you're. It's a go-to if you haven't gone back. Like if you're a younger fan, like Chris, maybe you haven't gone back to the early shows '91, '92, '93. This is one of the ones you should start with because yeah, I mean the set list is not, you know, there's no there's no Dirty Frank, there's no Wash, anything like that, Footsteps, but every song is played with such a high intensity they're in seattle in their hometown i just think it's it's one of the one of the best shows from that time period i'll give it a 10 flat out can't argue with that i can't argue with it i i i chose to be nitpicky in this regard i i gave all the praise to pink pop last time so i feel like i gotta be a little <laughs> a little harsh <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, Pink Pop's a great performance, but this is this is right there with it for me. Sure, I I like I said, it, historical significance is where I just love. That's like that's my favorite part of it is just how cool. Like it just gives you that glimpse into the scene and the band this time. So yeah, and, I, and I'll say it again: we're so lucky to have video and audio and photos in such the quality that we do from this era, because a lot of that stuff could have easily been lost if if the band hadn't had the foresight to think like oh you know we might be around for a while we might we might be we might need this someday we we might want to have this this might be important 100 we we're we all should be so thankful that they that they had the the foresight and the ability to be able to do that to get bring those people on board like brett elias and like lance mercer people who aren't in the band but are you know around them um, to be able to document and and how we end up with things like the PJ20 movie and the PlayState book and all these other cool things that we have, you know. The unsung heroes, and we thank them for sure. Definitely. Um, so anything else uh, before we get out of here? No, I think I'm all set. I mean, it's if you haven't yeah. listened to the show, it goes without saying, go listen. So Absolutely. do yourself the favor. Well, we, uh, we miss Randy. Hi Randy. Hi Randy. Um, he'll he'll be back soon. But yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for doing this with me, Chris. This yeah, of, of course. I had a great time, and it was yeah. it was great working with you. And uh, I'm sure we'll be doing a show with with Randy, and uh, you know we'll get the the whole crew, you know, mixing and matching, uh, get get everybody going again soon. So yeah, great. So uh, to it. thanks everybody. Um, you know, <laughs> maybe parting ways here, but not for much longer. Uh, miss you already. <laughs> I miss you always. I tried to outdo him, but we we love you, Randy. It was good. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, All right, everyone. Uh, We'll see you next week uh, with a different show. And, uh, yep. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Are we really going to do this?